The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, Here is another Bible talk for you. Uh, Another bit of the Bible all about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And the focus of this talk is on Jesus, the Redeemer. Uh, This talk is aimed for staff in the school that I work at. That means teachers and office staff and property staff and anyone that you might imagine works in a school. That's who's listening to this Bible talk. Um, And it's the second talk of a series of four. So if you haven't heard the first one, maybe go back and listen to the first one, um, which is about Jesus, the Passover lamb. Um, So this next one is on Jesus, the Redeemer. Uh, Keep in mind as well that this is me delivering a talk on Zoom because we are also on COVID lockdown right now. Um, And so uh, we've got to deliver um, all of our content over the interwebs. Anyhow, um, hope you enjoy this next one. uh, And, uh, you know, let me know what you think. We're continuing to think about this topic of for our sins today. Um, Thinking about, this is a phrase that we often utter, but what do we actually mean by this phrase that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins? Uh, And we're going to be thinking about this idea that Jesus died for our sins as our Redeemer. Um, So to begin with, as we unpack this, we we need to address the the reality that the Bible teaches a very tragic reality. Um, something that's uncomfortable and something that is actually unpopular for people to hear. Um, I, I've spoken about this before in an assembly in a chapel and I've had parents push back and say, how dare you say this to our kids? You see, the Bible teaches us that unfortunately we are all, no matter who you are, uh, we are all under the power of sin and we all have sin. We're all sin. There is no one uh, who is righteous, the Bible says, not even one in Romans chapter 3. Um, Jesus explains it simply. He, he simply says in John eight thirty four uh, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Um, furthermore, in the Bible, we learn that the terrible consequence of sin, it's severe, that the consequence of sin is death. And so as we, as we hear about this and as we see this and we come face to face with this tragic reality from the Bible, theological truths, we, we've got to understand that we need saving, that that this is a bad situation to be in and and we need somebody to help us. We need something to be done. Uh, But the reality is for us as well is that there is actually nothing that we can do for this ourselves. We're we're in this desperate situation, but we can't actually save ourselves in this. Uh, We need somebody to come along and and to pay for this sin problem on our behalf. Um, Although we deserve it, it would be great if somebody could come and sort this out for ourselves because the consequence is death. I don't want to pay that myself. Um, So what we need is we need somebody to pay that on our behalf, to come and sort out this problem for us. We need a redeemer. And like I said, this is our focus today, that that Jesus actually came uh, to to sort out our sin problem, um, to pay something costly to sort out this problem of sin for us by being our redeemer. 
And we're going to build on this definition a little bit as we go. But simply, redemption is when a costly payment is made um, to deliver someone from distress. Um, it could be a costly payment. It could also be a costly act. So I'll say that again. Redemption is when a costly payment or an act is made to deliver someone from distress. Now, historically, when we think about redemption, we should jump all the way back to Exodus chapter 6. And where we see God redeem his people from slavery to Egypt. Um, so I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Uh, it is there on your, on your handout. Um, but again, I encourage you to open up your Bible. Highlight your Bible as you go. Um, and keep an ear out for the redemption part. <clears throat> so um, Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, by the way, somebody's unmuted. If they could just mute, that would be great. Um, okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. <clears throat> Let's not forget here when, when God speaks, God's people are in great distress. Um, they're slaves to Egypt. Things are not good. They're crying out to God. This is a horrible moment for them. However, by God's outstretched arm, in verse 6 you see there, and by His mighty acts of power and judgment, the Lord frees Israel from Egypt. It's by His work that He makes them His very own people. He removes them from under the yoke of slavery under Egypt. By the way, a yoke is not egg yoke. A yoke is like a big thing that ties animals together and keeps them walking in a straight line. That's a yoke. Um, they're in the yoke of slavery. They're, they're connected to Egypt. They're tied in. They're working for them. But God, by his mighty power, he removes them from that and he brings them into the promise that he's made with Abraham, into his great covenant. And they will be his people and he will be their God. Isn't this amazing? Here is this act of sheer grace and an expression of God's incredible love where he works. He works in a costly way to save where he works to redeem, to bring these people out of trouble and into relationship with him. Uh, this isn't about their work to save themselves, but this is all about God's work, God's redeeming work to save them. And this is the confidence of God's people, that they can rely on God. In the Old Testament, um, they, they celebrated the fact that God is their redeemer. In fact, from the depths of their despair, they could cry out to God, the Lord their God, putting their hope in Him and in His unfailing love because they know that in Him they can find redemption. 
you can you can see this if you listen to Psalm 130. I've, I've also printed this for you on your handout. Um, listen to this psalm. This is a psalm of ascent as God's people are going up the road into Jerusalem to celebrate a, a festival, uh, one of their many festivals. Um, they would sing songs and, and, and sing psalms together. And this is a psalm of ascent, one of the psalms that they might have said. And Psalm 130, it says, um, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Um, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept the record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I waited for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. See, God's people, they can praise God as they go up to celebrate their festivals and so on in Jerusalem. As they head towards the temple to praise God, they praise with hope and with confidence because they know that the Lord loves them and that the Lord has already fully redeemed them. So it's great that redemption is a reality that they celebrate. But actually, redemption wasn't only just to celebrate their praise. It was also to drive their life together in God's community. For instance, if you read the Old Testament, you would see that there's lots of instances where redemption comes up. Um, so if, if, if you've got a bull and your bull kills somebody, then you're going to be held accountable for that murder. But Exodus, in chapter 21, verses 28 to 30, says that rather than the owner of the bull being put to death as a payment for his bull killing somebody, that the owner can make a payment to redeem his own life. He can pay a way out of the problem that he's in so that he could go on to live. So we've got this redemption example just in a daily practical life where his animals sadly killed somebody. Right? Um, or, or the other thing is that in Leviticus 25, uh, if you're a member of the Israelite community uh, and you go and sell yourself into slavery to a foreigner, then you can actually be redeemed and be brought back into God's people um, to belong to God's people again. Um, you could do that in two ways. If you're a prosperous slave and you've been able to work your way out of slavery and you've got a bit of money, uh, you could purchase your own freedom. But if you're poor and if you're unable to buy your own freedom and to buy your own redemption, then what could happen is, is that you could, um, you could have a family member, a blood relative who could come and make a payment on your behalf and they could buy you back to belong again to God's people. Um, that, that sort of a person has a title, and you might have heard it before. Uh, that title is known as a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, K-I-N-S-M-A-N, kinsman redeemer. Here is somebody who goes and, and redeems somebody, for like pays for them on their behalf, brings them back in. If you want an example of that, you can actually read about it in the book of Ruth, um, the Old Testament book uh, in Ruth, where we discover that there's a man named Boaz who redeems a lady called Ruth because she is part of his family tree. He redeems her at a great cost. And as he redeems her and he buys her, he brings her into his home as his wife. 
Rather than her needing to go on in life foraging for food out in the field and everything being uncertain and unsure and insecure, she is brought into Boaz's family because Boaz purchases, makes a, makes a costly payment for her to come back. What's incredible about that story about Ruth, if you remember, uh, is that um, when she's brought by Boaz into his family and becomes his wife, that she actually becomes the great, great, great grandmother of King David. And eventually, therefore, the great, 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 I don't know, to the power of, I don't know, something, maybe 28, I think, generations, um, the great, great grandmother eventually of Jesus. And this is all because of redemption, all because Boaz redeemed Ruth, so Jesus comes through that line. Now, interestingly, I just want to pick up on this from the story of Ruth. At the end of Ruth, as they're sort of celebrating this moment where, where Ruth... Um, has been redeemed, um, there's a group of ladies and they, they praise God for the redemption of Ruth to Boaz. And they praise God and they say, praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a guardian redeemer. I love this because it just sees that God, we see that God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of seeing people delivered from distress and, and into community and into life, to good things back into relationship. God is in the business of this, of making a payment at great cost. And I want to say praise be to the Lord because he's done the same thing for us too, hasn't he? Remember, like we started, that we are in deep distress because of our sin. We are cut off from God. We desperately need a redeemer. We We can't redeem ourselves in this, right? This is not a price that we can pay because we are poor. We, we are unable to pay for our own sin. We need a kinsman redeemer. If only we had a blood rel- relation who could act on our behalf and deliver us from the distress of sin. I wonder who that could be. Oh, of course, we know, don't we? But that's Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. God has not left us without a redeemer. He sent us the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who became a man to pay the price for our sin, to pay on our behalf. Jesus didn't just come to save us by some arbitrary act of power. He didn't just simply snap his fingers to save us. No, Jesus came and he paid a price for our sin. The price that needed to be paid in full. And this payment came by nothing less than the life of Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Now, if we flick over into Ephesians chapter 1. So um, in your Bibles, go over to Ephesians chapter 1. I think I've printed it for you in your handout. Um, Yes, I have. Um, But Ephesians chapter 1, verses um, 3 to 11. Um, And as we think about what Jesus has done for us, listen to what Paul says. Discover what has happened when when Jesus died for us um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 um, to 10. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship 
through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, as Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, Paul teaches in Ephesians that in Jesus, verse 4, we have been chosen. He teaches in verse 4 and 5 that we've been predestined in love by God to become God's children, but his sons, his heirs. That's incredible, isn't it? Once we were not his heirs, but then through Jesus, we are his heirs. I talk about this with um, year 12 and I say that we no longer have to scrounge around for food, but actually we have fridge rights with God. So what I mean by fridge rights is if you, um, if you come into my mum's house and you go into my mum's house and you go, what up, Mrs. Schroeder? And you open up her fridge and you start to rumble through her fridge. She's like, what the heck are you doing? Who do you, who do you think you are to go through my fridge? But if I come into my mum's house and I'm like, g'day mum, and I open the fridge, even today as a 39-year-old man, I can go through my mum's house and go through my mum's fridge because I'm a son, I've got fridge rights. The beautiful thing is that through Jesus, we are his heirs and we have fridge rights with God in God's house. We belong to him. And of course, in verse 7, we see as well that we have redemption through Jesus' blood. Through Jesus, we have been freed from our sin and now we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we can see how God's grace has been, he says here, richly lavished on us in verse 8. Lavish, what a great word. It reminds me of putting Nutella on a fresh English muffin in the morning, fresh out of the toaster. You put it on thick, don't you? You lavish it on. Well, God's grace has been lavished on us. How incredible is the work of God to give us Jesus so that Jesus could come to be our Redeemer so that now we would belong to God and as Paul says in chapter 1 verse 10 of Ephesians to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Praise be to the Lord our God who has not left us without a Redeemer to echo the words of Ruth. It's essential, however, that we land this by saying that we have been redeemed, but we've been redeemed for something. So listen carefully, right? Because we've just not been redeemed to do whatever we want. We have been redeemed for action. Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6, verse 9, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Um, Titus says uh, in chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, that God's grace in Jesus has appeared and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions and to instead live self-controlled, upright and godly lives today as we wait for Jesus, our Saviour and our Redeemer. If you listen particularly to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own 
eager to do what is good. Do you notice that we've redeemed, we have been redeemed from something to something else? We're no longer slaves to sin. We have been redeemed for a new life. We've been redeemed for action, to be people who are eager to do what is good. I think it's important that we think about this because so often we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come and Jesus has died for us. Uh, He's taken away our sin and so therefore we have been redeemed for eternal life. And we, we celebrate that and we all too easily look ahead to heaven in all of its glory. But we all too easily forget that we have been redeemed also for today, for this day. This day where we are no longer slaves to sin. That we are the redeemed. We are those who have been bought at great cost to belong to God as his holy people. But we are meant to be, we are meant to be people who are eager to do what is good. See, as the redeemed, you cannot today continue in your sin. As the redeemed this moment, you cannot be a selfish jerk. As the redeemed, you cannot be a foul-mouthed, coarse-joking, loose cannon. As the redeemed today, you cannot be a gossip or an abuser or a lazy worker. In Jesus, we have been redeemed from sin to belong to God and to be eager to do what is good. And so in application of this, I have two things to say before we finish. Firstly, as the redeemed in Christ, looking at chapter from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, we see that we have unity. And so I want to say that as the redeemed in Christ, this is something that we must hold dear as we work together here. Although we have different roles in our school, different tasks, we must remember that we have equally been redeemed by Christ. And our redemption in Christ is something that should actually unite us and it should bring us together. So long as we celebrate the same fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus alone, well, we have unity. And so as I think about that unity that we share together, I'm thinking about the obvious connections of unity across our college. So, you know, the obvious ones like junior school and senior school, the office and support staff and their property staff and so on like that. But I'm also thinking about the other Christians that we have in our community here at Broughton. And so I'm thinking particularly about our Christian students and our Christian families. They are with us in redemption. They have equally been redeemed by Jesus. They are also the people of God. And so I want to say, remind them of the redemption that we equally have. Particularly, can you think, can you remember that you are partnering with the Christian parents in our school? Our Christian parents send their kids to our school because we are Christian. So partner with our Christian families in promoting the wonderful truth of our faith. Let's not let down particularly our Christian families who send their kids here because we are Christian, because we believe we have been redeemed by Jesus. I, for one, as a Christian parent, I want to hear my kids get into my car. I want to hear my sons get into my car after school and be talking about the redeeming work of Jesus that they have learnt about here at Broughton. I want to hear that from my sons. And I'm sure there's other Christian dads and mums that want to hear that same thing. 
But that aside, families aside, I also want to encourage you to remember that we've got something very special with our Christian groups at our school. Our Christian senior school group, Rage, um, 80 kids that come to that. Our junior school Christian Rage group, which is everyone from kindergarten through to year six, is growing and going gangbusters as well. We've got 30 to 40 kids sitting out there in the forecourt of the hall to learn about Jesus. Let's encourage these kids to remember that they have been redeemed by Jesus. Encourage them as they attend. Encourage, particularly our senior, our, our senior school kids, the teenagers, man, gee, it's hard to be a Christian teenager. Let's encourage them in the reality that they are redeemed by Jesus. But as we think about this unity that we share, I also want to say that I'm also thinking about the unity that we share, not just here on our site at Broughton. We were reminded at the end of last term that we share with the staff across Campbelltown Anglican Schools Corporation, don't we? Broughton is one Christian school campus in connection with other redeemed people working for the gospel in other school campuses as well. Other schools that belong to Campbelltown Anglican Schools Council, St. Peter's Anglican Grammar School, St. Peter's Heart. Let's also not forget about Campbelltown Anglican Schools Council head office. We, we have unity with these people as well because of the redeeming work of Jesus. And so in our zeal for good work here at Broughton, let's keep in mind that although our campus sites are different, that by the blood of Jesus, we are united. And so let's be eager for good works across all our sites, but let's do it in the unity that we have in Jesus, our Redeemer. Now, secondly, in application I want to say that I hope that you have seen that Jesus' death on the cross and the redemption that we have from our sin means that we must be different from the world. We must be different from the world. We cannot be the same. We have been brought out from one life and into another. We've been brought from slavery to sin to slavery to God, the Bible says. We no longer belong to the world. We've been redeemed to belong to God And so we have a new life to live in Christ. And this is life through Christ. That's what we mean, isn't it? To live as the redeemed. To be eager to do good, like Titus says in chapter 2.14. To have real zeal for living God's way, not living the the world's way. Funny, isn't it, that sometimes as Christians we have more zeal for living the world's way than God's way. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. And so as we think about that, you know, you think about that for yourself in your own life, what you do behind closed doors. But from a Broughton perspective, I want to ask whether or not this is an obvious trait for Broughton staff at our school. Is it obvious that we are different from the world, that we have a zeal for doing good works because we belong to the Lord God Almighty? So notice I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm simply just asking the question. But we've been redeemed by Christ for good works today. We have been redeemed to be different in the world, to belong to God. And so are we different? Additionally, let's keep in mind that working at a school like ours is actually good work. You have a valuable ministry here at our school. This is a service that we have to our community, to families, to children. And so let's have real zeal for our good work together here at Broughton. For for how we work hard at our tasks, um, thinking about how we relate carefully in service to one another, 
thinking about how we lead our community with enthusiasm and innovation if we're in positions of leadership, thinking about the fact that we have been redeemed so we ought to make a difference, how we direct our brought and best traits here in our college. So in conclusion, we often say that that Jesus died for our sins, and that's true, right? It rolls off our tongue also easily. Jesus died for our sins. This is what we believe as Christians. But we've learnt today that what we mean is that Jesus died for us to redeem us from the slavery to sin to the slavery of righteousness. We've been redeemed for life through Christ. So this means that we should be eager to do what is good. I don't know about you, but this drives me to my knees. I must pray. I must seek the Lord's help as I live as the redeemed. So let's pray together. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much that you would work on our behalf, that the Lord Jesus has come for us and in a great costly act of love and of power, he has redeemed us. Thank you that we are saved from slavery, slavery to sin, to now belong to you as slaves to righteousness. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us this day to live as your people, to belong to you, to be the redeemed, to be eager to do what is good. Lord, we thank you for this truth that we have. And Lord, I pray that it would unite us together as your people working here together at Broughton Anglican College. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at mrkschroeder Or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that, and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.